Welcome to a brand new episode of Seize the Moment Podcast, and we want to welcome back a very special guest. Today we have back on Chris Boutte. He's an author, influencer, and YouTuber. Uh, you can find him on Substack at The Rewired Soul, and he's the author of Canceled, Inside YouTube Cancel Culture, multiple health books, uh, mental health books, and he often contributes to wellness publications such as Thrive, Global, and Tiny Buddha. And Chris reads hundreds of nonfiction books each year and has spoken with authors on a diverse range of subjects at the popular Wired Soul podcast. And you can also find his expert quotes in publications such as Vox, Insider, and Vice. And Chris, it's, it's awesome to have you back, man. And thanks yeah, for thanks for, thanks for having me back. That intro makes me sound way more important <laughs> than I am. <laughs> yeah. I try, you know. I mean, you technically are, man. You're actually, you at least, you know, before you stopped, you were a pretty major podcaster. I told you, man, you had one of the top three podcasts I listened to. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, man. So just thinking about what we could start off talking about. Uh, I remember on the last show that we did, which is now about a year ago, we talked a lot about your addiction and your recovery. And uh, we more so talked about you know, your personal experience and what that was like for you. But, you know, thinking about it, because people often ask me about what addiction treatment actually is. And so mm. sometimes people think it's the same thing as either therapy or it's essentially the same thing as AA, right? But can you tell us kind of from your perspective, having been on both ends, where you obviously work for an addiction clinic and then you were mm -hmm. obviously a patient there too. So what is the actual sort of treatment method like and how does it differ, differ from so standard uh, psychotherapy and how is it essentially not the same thing as AA? Yeah, well, so so me me personally, I had no money, no insurance, nothing. So I didn't I didn't go to actual treatment. I got sober through a sober living house in Fresno, gotcha. California. Um, my mom was seven years sober at the time. She tossed me in one of those places. She said, you're not living with me, you know, because she's trying to stay sober. So I went into a sober living. It was like 500 bucks a month. And for me, it was, you know, three AA meetings a day for a long time. Oh, right? so you did do AA. Yeah. So I, I personally did AA. It's why whenever when anybody's talking crap, I'll come to his defense. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, then I went to go work in treatment when I was about three years sober. It was a big luxury style rehab here in here in Vegas and me coming from a, a sober living house where I was like on food stamps, eating ramen and then seeing people in this luxury rehab complaining about the food and stuff. I'm like, but, uh, but yeah, so, so you got, you got a, a multitude of different rehabs, right? Like um, I did go to a detox center many years ago, like a few years before I got sober. That's like a, depending on how messed up you are, it could be like a five to seven day stay. It could be three days. You know what I mean? Um, the one I was at was an inpatient facility where we also had detox in-house, right? So yeah. one of the ways of difference from differences from AA is definitely like if they have detox and like medical staff is the safety that comes along with detoxing, right? Like when you're coming off of drugs, like especially like benzos and alcohol, like you can have seizures. We've, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, a couple people who did pass away from heart failure, just getting sober. And there's certain things that happen to your body that, you know, like even with all the medical interventions, like it's just your body mm -hmm. can't take it, you know? Um, so there is the medical aspect there and you do have people around, but inpatient, like what I would say, like you have a chance to like fully focus on you, right? Mm -hmm. Like people, like one of the biggest excuses people give to go to rehab is like, oh, I can't, I got, I got kids. I got, you know, I got a job. And it's like, well, you're about to lose all of that shit. Like get into rehab focus on yourself for a little bit. Right. Because like, that's what it takes. Like I knew, I knew personally, cause my son was here in Vegas. Like I couldn't be a father to my son unless I left and went mm -hmm. to California for a little bit. You know what I mean? 
So that's one of the benefits. But then, um, you know, at my rehab, like we had all the levels of care. So you went from inpatient, then we had an outpatient program, depending on what your insurance covered. So you might be an inpatient for like 21 days or something like that, go to outpatient for another month. Then there's like aftercare stuff where you might move into a sober living, get therapy. But yeah, so therapy is a, is a key component, which is very crucial because even the best AA sponsors aren't going to know how to deal with your childhood trauma necessarily um, and certain things like that. Uh, like, don't get me wrong. My therapist was amazing. Not my therapist. My sponsor was amazing. Yeah. That dude mm -hmm. saved my life. But but also um, his form of AA, which I learned to just kind of like, hey, I'll take all your advice and everything else. He didn't want me taking my antidepressant meds and stuff like that. Yeah. By the way, that's so interesting. That's actually come up with me and several clients really? in AA. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, you don't need that. That's sort of like a crutch or another crutch. Can you actually, I want to talk to you about that. That's oh, so interesting. Man. Yeah. Why yeah. does that happen? Why does that come up? Why is there such a dichotomy between so, the two? Man, there's, there's so many different you know, it's almost, it's, I, I hate to say this because AA always says spiritual, not religious, but there's so many different flavors of it, depending on which meetings you go to, people have different takes on it and stuff. My sponsor's mm -hmm. meetings that he went to and his takes and his sponsor was just no, right? Narcotics yeah. Anonymous, I believe is a little bit more hardcore about that um, than AA. In AA in the big book, I don't remember the exact quote, but it says that we seek the help of medical professionals and things like that, whether it's therapists, doctors, whoever's going to assist with our program, right? But some people, mainly in Narcotics Anonymous, say like any kind of substance, right? Any kind of, uh, you know, mental health medication is technically not sober. I'm like, no, right? Like, because right. I I am a science guy. You guys know this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, One of the primary causes of relapse is mental illness and untreated mental illness, right? Yeah. And we can't just say, no, we're not going to, we're not going to take these because I want my body to be all clean. Like, you know, the amount of shit I put into my body and now all of a sudden I'm not going to take something that's good for me, you mm -hmm. know? So here I am 10 and a half years sober. I still take an antidepressant slash anti-anxiety medication, you know? Um, but yeah, so when I, when I talk to people, cause I would get, I would get clients in treatment who would say like, no, I don't want to take that stuff. I'm like, bro, you've been like shooting up meth behind a dumpster. Now all of a sudden <laughs> you don't want to take a, a medicine that's good for you. Yeah. So, so yeah, if any, if you, if you ever get any clients that come in, you tell them to come talk to me yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it is, it's very, well, yeah. and then just, but, just before we get off of the topic, right. And then therapy, right. What was that like for you, especially in terms of addiction? So therapy, I, I it actually took me a long time to start therapy. I, I didn't, I didn't do therapy until I got canceled on YouTube. So that mm -hmm. was 20, 2019. And I was like, I need something additional for this, right? Like I always advocated for therapy i read a bunch of therapy books and you know i've been practicing like mindfulness and so many other things but i went into therapy and um one of the things is uh you know somewhat like a sponsor but it's good to get an outside perspective it's good to get someone who's trained in specific forms of therapy like since i'm such a big reader when i went to therapy um i learned about um rational emotive behavioral therapy and mm -hmm. i would like talk to my therapist and she's like oh yeah and she'd like give me worksheets and stuff and she knew about rebt and that's something that really meshed with me because i'm all about being rational and stuff like that so like having a trained professional who's gone to school for this stuff um and can give you that perspective is definitely beneficial and i actually so i did therapy for a while got a little bit better and uh you know I recently went back last year at some point when I just started hitting some weird depressive funks. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it, and it's good. It's good to just have somebody you can talk to. Like, like I have a girlfriend, just amazing. She's actually a social worker. She works at a psych hospital, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
all that kind of stuff. And like, I could talk to her about so many things, but again, sometimes you need that outside perspective, like you, that you're not going to get from someone, you know, personally, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've known so many, I've had people in my family who've been really addicted to various substances, whether it be mm -hmm. like uh, extended family to like heroin and, and all that. And like having gone to like detox clinics, to inpatient facilities get like, uh, for example, like you can't just go cold, cold turkey if mm -hmm. you're doing, um, let's say, oxys or or whatever or blues, whatever. No. Uh, mm -hmm. You 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 have to actually like kind of wean yourself down because if you try to go cold, cold turkey, you could have like those uh, seizure strokes that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so like the benefit of those facilities is is it, it the value there is just like crazy. And the weird thing is, I was just thinking this like while you're talking too. It's like. Uh, Addiction, it's insane because like when you actually talk to somebody who has been addicted to something and you ask them like what goes on in your head, like because <laughs> like the, from the outside, they're like, uh, wait, like, are you listening to the things I'm trying to tell you? Like, you know, you got to care about your family. You got to care about work. Uh, mm -hmm. What are you trying to do with your life? You know, do you have a purpose? All that. These things sound like as if like if you said it the right way, you think it's going to hit that person. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah maybe it could it's possible maybe you get them in a brief like lucid moment mm -hmm. but most of the time in the addicted person's mind and uh, i haven't been like addicted on like really hard substances before but i've been addicted to let's say this is very somebody's gonna laugh at me like they're gonna be mm -hmm. like oh, but like vaping let's <laughs> like vaping. oh yeah i know all about the vaping <laughs> yeah so like they're gonna laugh though they're gonna be like come on that's not like you could do yeah. other things but it's interesting though like i could like have vape. remember remember the bob saget uh character and have vague it's like oh i smoke weed <laughs> yeah yeah boo yeah. this man yeah yeah, boo. yeah but but realistically, I actually couldn't think about like if I didn't have it, I actually felt that uh, that feeling like I need to go out and buy it and get it. Otherwise, I can't think about doing anything else. And yeah. it was weird. And it, it was also strange because at that same time, I also went through sort of a depressive period. I was uh, thinking a lot more and I'm kind mm -hmm. of used to especially like doing the podcast, being like uh, more into meditation, being present to the moment. Um full focus and like what's going on flow states all that good stuff right mm -hmm. and even with that uh i was still kind of possessed like my will was possessed by um overthinking and i noticed that the addiction that i was like nurturing with the vaping was somehow tied to that overthinking and then kind of when i stopped vaping uh it's interesting actually my mind calmed down too and i felt like mm -hmm. it was weird it was like this interconnected thing between thoughts and the addiction too so yeah yeah it's 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 difficult to explain and i don't think i don't think people actually consider like non-addicts and stuff like like just try kidding quitting anything right mm -hmm. like just 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 Food. quit something yeah. yeah just quit something quit sugar right you know what yeah. i mean and, you know, for us addicts, it turns into this kind of like survival instinct. Like my brain told me, like, if you don't get a drink or if you don't get a drug, you're going to die. Right. Like you need to get this stuff. And especially when you are so dependent physically, when you start to come down, you feel like you're going to die. So yeah. you are just using just to feel well. You know what I mean? And yeah. it didn't matter. My I didn't get sober until my son was three. And I thought like, oh, once my son's here, I'm going to get sober. I won't need this stuff anymore. But kind of like what we're talking about with therapy and all these other things, I had no tools to deal with life, right? Like mm -hmm. I had a traumatic childhood. My mom, she was a hardcore alcoholic until I was 20, right? So like I had a messed up childhood. I struggled with depression, struggled with design, uh, anxiety. 
I had no skills, right? So saying like, hey, why don't you quit using drugs? It's like, well, how am I supposed to deal with life? Like before Russell Brand became a complete whack job, mm-hmm. one of the things he said in his book, Recovery, that really just clicked with me was like, uh, for a lot of us, like the drugs and alcohol are the only things keeping us from suicide, right? Like it, mm-hmm. that's what was giving me a purpose to get up in the morning and to go seek out something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when I got sober, that was the most depressed and suicidal I ever got, right? Like, cause I didn't, now I don't have my, my little tool that I was using to deal with this stuff. That's when I started hitting meetings, like just to get out of my head. And um, yeah, it didn't matter. Like, man, something that my girlfriend's always sending me TikToks about is like, there's, there's this growing trend of like harm reduction. Don't get me wrong, harm reduction in certain instances, it's like a very good thing. But like basically people on TikTok promoting the idea of like, just don't quit using alcohol or drugs at all. Just keep doing it, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, like, no, like we need to teach people to get better, right? And part of it is our screwed up healthcare system and stuff like that. And that's why I advocate for AA. Like until until we have free healthcare, like don't talk shit about AA, all right? <laughs> until, until I can go to a rehab for free, calm down. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that there was a better way of living, you know? And when I started going to 12-step programs and I started meeting people, I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. Like you're this happy, right? Like you're this happy and you're not, you're not drunk. You're not high, you know, like it was crazy. And I was looking at myself. I'm like, well, this clearly isn't working for me. I need to try something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's so interesting about that is like, you know, you're talking about, you didn't know that there was a better way of living, but sometimes on the other end of the spectrum, you have people for who seem things seem to be going pretty well. And, you know, even though they have like a purpose, this is what we will call like high functioning addiction. So Mm. dude, I remember when I was in graduate school, like, uh, I know I haven't really talked to you about this, but there was a point in my life where I was like severely suicidal, like not to the point where I ever had like any actual intentions of like taking my life, but Mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was pretty hard. Right. So I would have consistent and chronic ideas. Um, so yeah, man, and it was actually during my graduate school period. So it was like, whatever it was a year and a half, almost two years, something like that. And you know, the thinking was, is that like, I woke up and I always had a purpose, you know, I woke up, I was like, okay, I have yeah. a bunch of work to do. I have to go to class. Then, you know, the internship started, whatever. But you know, the thinking is there that even though there's a purpose, there's also kind of a need to, or at least a desire to want to escape from it. So I remember thinking like, oh my God, man, is this going to be in my life? Like, do I really even want to do this? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then the addiction came in, which was already pretty prevalent at the time. I don't drink as much as I used to, but like at that time I was a really heavy drinker. So there mm-hmm. came a point for my teenage years where it sort of like went up and then it kind of peaked and then it was kind of stagnant for a while and you know, that high area. Um, and then it kind of went down over the past, like I would say probably six, seven years, something like that after I graduated. But yeah, mm-hmm. man, during my graduate school period, I remember like that was the thing that was my only escape. And again, you know, this thinking is that like, you know, you, your life is going somewhere, you have a purpose, you know, you seem to be doing pretty well in school, uh, you know, you have potential or whatever, you know, one person was like, oh, you have such a like budding career. And I was like, yeah, man, this shit just doesn't fucking matter to me. And yeah. I really, and I even still, I can't even figure out why. Like, there's nothing that I can pinpoint to and say, cause like, I'm a therapist now, you know, it's like I left the field and I was like, oh, yeah. I was like burnout. I was, you know, having second thoughts. I don't even really know what it was about. But like during that time, man, I was like, yo, I, I just, I don't want to do anything. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm so glad I got into, and you guys know this, like like getting into like philosophy and like like getting into just Buddhist philosophy and mindfulness yep. and meditation and stuff like that. Like, you know, like they talk about like the hungry ghost. I was constantly trying to find things to fill this void. And like the worst my addiction was, was when I had this amazing job, had a newborn son, uh, was making more money than I've ever made, but I was miserable, right? Yeah. And like, this is just a life thing, right? Like how many people do we know who are just making bank? 
right? And on the outside, you're like, whoa, they got the nice car, the good job, the beautiful wife and kids and like all this other stuff, but they're miserable, you know? And, and like when I got sober and I've actually been teaching this to my son too, because depression runs in our family. I'm just right. But mm -hmm. um, I found my purpose in helping others. Right. Yeah. And you, you, you get to do that in therapy and things like that. So uh, especially working in treatment, man, like, you know how, how many times, like I would get a call that a former patient like died. Right. And then I'd have to go do group and I'd have to just switch my mindset and say, Chris, this next hour is not about you. It's about helping these people. You just lost somebody. Now it's time to save some people. You know what I mean? And just having, having the purpose of seeing where I can help others gets me out of myself. It makes me stop thinking about me, my problems and all that kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's just really helped when I'm, you know, just even just thinking about like, you know, money issues or family issues or whatever it is. It's like, okay, Chris, now it's time for you to go out and do some work, help somebody else get out of your head. Like, I remember when I got sober, I thought the dumbest thing they ever told me, they're like, on your worst days, call somebody and ask them how they're doing. I'm like, shut the hell up. I'm like, <laughs> why am I going to call somebody else when mm -hmm. I am having a tough day? But I just, I, I did what I had to do. And I was like, whatever, I'll take your, your stupid instructions. A lot of times I call somebody else from the program. They were having a way worse day than I was, right? Like I was upset about an argument I got with my mom and they're sitting there like, oh man, thank God you called. I was about to go, you know, to the liquor store or something like that. I'm like, oh Damn. shit, you know what I mean? So that, that really helps. And you know, that's, you know, I told, I told my son this like, you know, a while back and I just remind him, I'm like, Hey, if you're ever feeling down, just see what you can do to help somebody else. Whether it's like helping out your mom or like, you know, bringing groceries, help your little brother, do something it gets you out of yourself for a little bit because chasing all the other like material things that never, that never helped. Right. It gives you that, that little instant gratification. You're like, Oh shit. You know, <laughs> now I'm back to where I was. That's interesting. That actually, you, you made me think of like two different things. You probably heard of this guy before, uh, Gabor Mate. Maybe. Yeah. I've heard of him yeah. a, a little bit. So yeah, he's like, uh, he talks about addiction, right. A uh, famous guy, right. And but, trauma. And trauma, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that he said, which uh, stuck with me, I don't remember everything he said, <laughs> but he said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, uh, that it's connection. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting is that 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 makes a lot of sense. That makes me think of what you're talking about, because like when you're when your own circle of concerns went past like just you, right, and it was about yeah. somebody else, like service to somebody else. That was able to uh, get you outside of those things that like kind of notch or make you want that addictive thing or or to return to like an older version of yourself that you don't want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is uh, there's something else that made me think of, too, which is when you so your whatever your purpose is or whatever you're trying to do, that that creates like the 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 boundaries that you have around yourself. So like, mm. if your purpose is just like, oh, I want to pleasure myself, right? Which is nothing really wrong with that. But yeah. like, oh, I'm just looking for a short term gratification. Oh, I want to, um, or even your concerns are like, uh, what do I look like? What, what does this person think of me? You mm -hmm. know, uh, like these, these like sort of petty concerns. But when you actually are like, what's going on with that person? Right. Or mm -hmm. what can I do to help them? Or uh, my purpose is to help other people. Right. Then it takes you to like another level where it's like even if something were to like before that would have gotten you uh, came up, it doesn't have as much strength anymore because you have that like higher sort of purpose thing. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, especially with sobriety, it helps protect my sobriety. Like I cannot 
I can't be of service to my son, to my girlfriend, to my mom, to my dad. You know what I mean? Like on, uh, we were, I, I totally forgot about this, but my dad had his uh, like quadruple bypass or whatever on one of my sobriety birthdays. I think I was five years sober. I drove, my sobriety birthday is actually my regular birthday too. So I drove out there. Like imagine if I was messed up during that time, right? My son's gone through stuff. My, my friends, my family, my best friend in the world who I've grown up with, we became uh, addicts together. He got sober when I was about three years sober. And like, if he's having a rough day, he's able to hit me up. And like, these are the things, right? Like if I ever do get a weird craving, I'm like, I'm like, I will throw all that stuff away. But also like when you're an addict, you just feel like a useless piece of garbage. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm helping others, I'm like, oh, I'm useful to people now. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I throw all that, all, all of that away. If I pick up a drink or a drug and I go back to that old way of living, you know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. And now you just sort of now even trying to kind of make sense of my experience. I think that's what it was for me too. I think it ended up being my clients at the internship. And then obviously when I started working, because I think, and look, no offense to anybody in any graduate program, but the thing is with these graduate programs, a lot of times you're pretty isolated. So it's mostly, and I, we had friendships and whatever, but I mean, the thing is you're mostly kind of on your own. You're doing your own work. You're focused on getting mm -hmm. your internship. You're pretty much competing with other people because there are limited slots. So whatever, there's some friendships, but it's not really anything too close. You know, pretty much you're all kind of hyper competitive hyper achievers at that point right and you know the teachers they have their own things going on so whatever yeah so i think that when you start thinking about it in terms of meaning or purpose right again going back to also even that uh, notion of connection there was none of that there right so i think until i finally got to the internship phase where i started actually connecting and working with people and you also see gratitude because i think that's really important man and i think a lot mm. of times for yeah i think when you start isolating yourself from people or again if you're just like in a sort of a maybe whatever i don't want to shit on my program but somewhat of a stale or kind of cold you know, maybe yeah. academic environment, even though I'm not saying that's exactly what it was, but you don't feel that, right? You don't feel like you're important. You don't feel like there's much gratitude and you don't feel like you're contributing. You just feel like, you know, you're there for a job in some sense, like you're getting a degree or whatever. And yes, you're moving on at some point, but you know, you're not really doing anything for the world. Yeah. I get it. It's a training phase. But I think once I started getting into actually treating people and feeling like, okay, not only am I competent, but I'm actually helpful to these people mm -hmm. and the connections that we have are obviously, I, I would hope, you know, transcend those spaces that we're in. I I think that kind of started slowing slowly a little bit at least it's whatever extent getting me out of it but mm -hmm. yeah pl plus uh honestly whenever you're doing something completely new yeah i mean you're you're literally so how long was graduate school two years yeah about two years yeah. okay so imagine doing something for two years you're stretching your identity right you're you're trying to uh move up in the world right but at the same time without that like where is this going like it almost mm -hmm. feels like every day is just um I don't know. It's you're like in this training process. Yeah, and it was hard. And that was the other thing too. It was fucking hard, man. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. You, you're, you're inundated with work with a bunch of people who are like, Hey dude, we went through this too. If we suffer, you suffer. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a weird place that your mind goes into. Cause like your mind wants, you want that. I mean, just by default, mm -hmm. you want that familiarity, that comfort. Right. Yeah. But every time you're stretching yourself, it takes you out of that and your mind is constantly like going crazy. Yeah. And without that purpose, I could probably, I mean, it's some, I mean, don't get me wrong. It could be other things going on too, yeah. but for you to have gone towards, you know, being sort of suicidal yeah. for like, after, you know, being in that for so long yeah. and just stretching, I don't know. But it you know, seems to make sense. Right? You know, here's the, also the other thing, dudes, like the graduate programs just in general. I mean, I'm sure you maybe, I don't know, you might know. I know, Chris, I'm assuming you do. Uh, like if you look at like PhDs or just master's degree students and you look at the rates of like depression, suicidality, oh, yeah. obviously anxiety, they're through the roof, man. They're legit yeah. through the yeah. roof. Yeah. yeah. So it can, 
Yeah, it can even be argued that these programs aren't that supportive. Not necessarily saying mine wasn't. Uh, again, I don't want because we did have a decent amount of support. But I mean, it's also pretty telling that you know this is sort of prevalent throughout the entire enterprise. Yeah, no, my my girlfriend, she actually just finished up her master's uh, mm. last summer, you know, and she was able to hop right in. Like, she went from, uh, you know, her practicum, and she ended up getting a job at that place. So, like, I watched her go through all this all this stuff. And, and yeah, like, it was pretty isolating. Like, every now and then, they'd have, like, a little study group or whatever. Yeah. But, like, the other thing, too, is, like, when it comes to that purpose, like, it was it was there front and center when I was working in a rehab. Like, now my, my day job is in content marketing, and I actually, I work remotely. My entire company, we're all spread across the United United States we have, even have people like in other countries and stuff but like I'm able to find that everywhere right like when people need help with something I I jump on it right I'm mm -hmm. like hey cool how can I help you like I've just spent hours just helping people research like data for an article they're writing and just weird stuff like that and I'm being of service to them in that place and uh you know speaking of like graduate programs and depression in college and stuff a lot of people are depressed at work because they don't find yeah. any meaning and purpose in work, right? They're doing like yeah. just the same tedious tasks. And I get that, right? Like I'm I'm writing articles. I, like I'm not, you know, for my day job, I'm not writing about like mental health or, you know, addiction and like, you know, hey, here's how you can improve your life. I'm writing about just like boring ass stuff. But yeah. I switch it and I'm like, you know, I'm helping my client, right? I'm helping their employees. I'm helping them stay in business by getting their articles out there on the internet, right? Like I'm constantly looking for those things and saying, what am I doing right now? Am I being helpful? But kind of like, I like you mentioned like a little bit ago, like we, we also need to find pleasure for ourselves. Like uh, my background's blurred, but I got a crap ton of like Legos and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like, and I play video games. I, I do a lot of things for me too, because part of me being of service to other people is making sure that I'm good because mm -hmm. there is that uh, compassion fatigue, right? Where mm -hmm. if all I'm trying to do is go, go, go and help other people, I get burnt out on it. Then I get miserable. Then I don't want to help anybody else. Right. So that's where those boundaries come up and say, no, no, no. Today's a me day, right. Or you got to do your own thing, figure it out. You know, like if somebody hits me up, I'm like, Hey, I would love to chat, but I'm doing stuff with my girlfriend and son. You got to like, here, I'll help you find a therapist on Monday or something like that. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of both. So I don't want anybody to think like, Oh, I'm doing, it's just running around trying to be mother Teresa. Like, yeah. no, nah, man, <laughs> I get my own enjoyment too. You know, that's, that's, that, that made me think actually a lot about myself uh, in terms of um, yeah. Cause in terms of like doing the podcast or uh, how often we're helping people and stuff, I, I think about it and I, uh, yeah, there, there's got to be a use to like actually like doing stuff more for yourself, right? Like I don't, I, you're right. Like you called it compassion fatigue, and and mm -hmm. that's interesting because I've heard of like terms like decision making fatigue and like things like that. Like in terms of like uh, how many decisions can you make in a day, or how much willpower yeah. do you really have right, in a right. day, and like you have the most willpower at the at the earliest part of the day, and at the end you don't, and you have to kind of organize mm -hmm. things in a certain way. Um. But yeah, me too with the video games. Like, for example, I mean, I didn't get to do it uh, yesterday, but uh, yesterday I went to um, see the new Ant-Man movie, right? Mm. Okay, so I got, okay, you know what? Actually, you don't mind if I change? Okay, let's check this out. So this is my first yeah. time ever going to uh, a 40X movie. Do you know what 40X is? Yeah, I haven't I haven't gone yet. It sounds, sounds like an experience though. It was my first, yeah. So, so just to the audience, 40X is like, you're basically going to a 3D movie putting on 3D glasses, that part's cool. Most people are familiar with that, right? But with the chairs that you sit in, which by yeah. the way are incredibly comfortable, 
they actually like move around and kind of shake like during the the whole movie right so for example if anyone gets hit in the movie a thing in the back of your chair hits you <laughs> uh if like somebody gets sprayed with something you get water sprayed in your face if yeah. there's shooting going on you could hear like like these wind like wind in your ear that's and, crazy and it's insane it's like a roller coaster ride and i gotta say it was if i didn't do anything else during the weekend i could have said like that was the one thing that recharged me and i feel like okay monday when i'm at work or when i'm doing the podcast right now i'll feel like you know okay i met my you know i got my i got my kicks today you know as far yeah. as that goes but video games too like um have you ever played god of war by any chance no no it looks amazing like it's, it's hard crazy to in the single players but yeah i got you so you, you're playing like uh multiverses right i saw that on yeah Twitter. yeah like i've always uh like i used to be before my addiction kicked in i used to be like into like professional gaming and travel all over the world and stuff and then the addiction oh. kicked off so yeah i've just yeah. always been into the competitive aspect but i do i have grown in liking single players since i listen to so many audiobooks i can chill with a single player every now and then and just zone out what games did you play uh professionally like smash uh, super smash no or? no so this is multiverse is actually the first like fighting game i've like gotten into but no it was a a pc game called counter-strike which is still pretty big oh hell yeah of course back yeah. then uh it was counter-strike 1.6 and yeah, I, I, uh, I wrote for one of the top websites that I ended up like coaching a team and stuff like that. It was, it was a pretty good, cool gig. I, I went to like Sweden and Spain and France, like all three when I was like 19, 20 years old. It was, yeah. So even though I was an addict, mm. I still had that strong work ethic, you know? <laughs> yeah. do, do you still like sometimes play count? I know there's like the newest one is global offensive. Uh, yeah, or... I haven't, uh, like not not in a while right like as i get older my first person shooters uh reflexes aren't as great and since i'm competitive fair. yeah that's fair <laughs> but, but yeah yeah I, I i played i think the last first person shooter i got into there's a new game called valorant which is like yep very similar to counter-strike but there's like abilities and stuff and then um i played the new halo for a little bit i played that on pc that was something i could just chill and like kind of zone out with it's such like a big game where you have like 16 on 16 or something insane where it's like there's so much going on i don't really gotta worry you know i just gotta yeah. go and just have fun you know yeah back in the day uh we'd get like a whole group of like maybe eight eight friends something like that have two xboxes and do like a land party dude and it was like saying halo 2 yeah man i it's so hard like my my son will never know that experience right like i remember some yeah. of the best times i had Back in high school, we used to go to my buddy's house who was insanely rich and they just had this giant room. We'd all bring our computers there and there'd be like 10 plus of us, right? All our PCs set up and we just game all night for a weekend, just drinking soda and just like, it was a mess. But yeah. like now it's just, you know. Uh, so virtual. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like my son, like it's cool. It's really interesting because I, I really despise how people just crap on technology. Like my son has grown relationships with kids like all over the country that he's been gaming with for years oh. they've like grown up together right like mm -hmm. on xbox like they started playing fortnite together like four or five years ago when the game was like still newer like one of his best friends is in like lincoln nebraska or something mm, like that damn. you know mm -hmm. but but yeah like back then you know it's hard to it's hard to explain to my son like yeah we used to like get together in one room and stuff like that like he has a couple friends at school that he he games with every now and then but yeah i don't i don't know if those days will ever come back around
Hmm. Yeah. And speaking of connection, I feel like that's probably what's missing. So I remember we used to do the same thing when we were younger. We would like play. So uh, we were really big into Madden NFL football. So for Ooh. ages, and then, yeah, everybody would just come over somebody's house and we would just have a bunch of like tournaments or whatever. Or we just, we just play like random games with each other. And we used to play like wrestling games. And I don't know if you guys remember, but on the, um, the GameCube, I think it was GameCube, you used to have like uh, four or five controllers there and you could yeah. like, set it up to make yeah. it six. Yeah. We would do like Royal Rumble matches where you would just have yeah. like a bunch of people playing on one. Yeah. In one match. Yeah. That's so wild right that's crazy that that's actually kind of gone so again speaking of connection it's like in a way you know i mean we've talked about this in several on uh, several episodes but you know social media whatever but just like with technology it's sort of a double-edged sword on the one hand yeah. like yes it does bind us to you know people in other parts of the other you know country or whatever or even the world but then it also on top of that it kind of disconnects us because now nobody wants to go over anybody else's yeah. yeah yeah it's uh you know one of my old uh meditation teachers uh you know he talked about technology it, it's it's like a knife right like like if you're a cook if you're a chef and you're using a knife properly like you could do some amazing stuff with it right but if you're not paying attention if you're being careless you'll chop your finger off and that's that's how i view technology if you're purposeful with it when you know when to take breaks you know when it's messing with you you know do that right but if you look at it as a tool right like i love connecting with people like look how i met you guys i met yeah. you guys through twitter you know what i mean yeah. like um uh you know the the friends i used to game with uh here in vegas there was something uh it was called lvga the las vegas gaming association it used to just be an internet forum back before all the social media stuff right and yeah. that's how we met each other we met each other locally and then we'd have land parties and one of my best friends um like i've known him for like 20 years and that's how we met right mm -hmm. so so when i do hear those social media conversations come up i'm like you know, like as depressed as I was back in like high school and stuff like that, it would have been way worse because I was so introverted. That's the other yeah. reason why I defend social media. I was so introverted. The only way for me to connect with people was through like uh, AOL and uh, Instant Messenger and stuff like well, that, you know? By the way, I have a great story for you guys. So when I was, oh man, so this is like going back to, uh, to like, wow, this was, I think in my early teenage days. So we, didn't, we have a comic book store here called Bulletproof that's like not too far away. Do you know it? It's on Nostrand. It's on Nostrand and Avenue I. Okay, so whatever, right? So I used to like hang out, like, because I, I pretty much lived in the project. So I used to hang out in the projects. So <laughs> in this in, in this store, uh, they used to have like a Madden tournament, right? So like every year, all of us would gather there and we would do this tournament. And the thing was like, uh, pretty much everybody tried to pick like the best teams. And so, I mean, that's kind of how these tournaments are. So they're money. So they're for money. So there's some sort of cash prize. I think it was only like maybe like, I don't know, two, three hundred dollars or something, which, you know, for us is still pretty big. Okay. So whatever. So they had like this cash prize, right? And then so everybody's like playing at the time with like the Eagles they were a huge team the Patriots obviously with Tom Brady was at the, at his prime uh so I don't even remember what, what the other what the Vikings was a big one with like Dante Culpa for Randy Moss so whatever right so there was a point where like so of course because this is like you know the hood and pretty much we have beef with other people there so yo I remember I, when I was there I was playing with the Bucks right obviously I am a fan right so yeah. one of the one of the dudes who was there he was this like blood dude he was one of the leaders of the set there so he's like yo man like holy shit you're playing with the, the Bucks he's like oh I like the Bucks and I'm like like, yeah, you like them because they're fucking red, but sure. Yeah. And he's like, no, man, he's like, yo, like, like, mad respect, dude. He's like, yo, he's like, everybody else here is playing with like the top teams, but he's like, yo, you're playing for your home team. I'm like, yeah, man. I was like, listen, if I'm going to lose, I want to lose with my favorite team. He's like, yo, I love that. So, whatever, fast forward, right? We have a beef with this kid there. And so this kid is like now starting to talk shit to my friend and he's now slowly coming over to me. And then so my other friend who was there at the time, he's like, fuck, man. He's like, yo, this is going to get really bad because, like, you know, they're all blood and we're not in gags. So we're fucking going to get 
killed. <laughs> right. So whatever. So he so he comes up to this dude. Right. And mind you, we don't really know the guy. And so he comes up to he tells me the story. I wasn't there. I was actually playing at the time. So he tells me the story. He comes up to this guy and he's like, hey, man, look, you know, he's like, your friend has a problem with like my boys. Right. But I don't he's like, we don't really want to make this into a thing, especially here. You know, he's like, I don't really know what the kind of the issue was, but he's like, we don't want any trouble. He's like, wait, he's like. He's like, what do you say? He's like, my man got a problem with Bucks? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, yo, tell Bucks he's good. He's good. So then he goes, tells the guy, because like he was the set leader. He's like, no, nah, man. He's like, leave him alone. He's like, just let it go. And the kid's like, all right, whatever. Fuck it. He's like, it is what it is. And that was kind of it, man. And I was like, wow, the Bucks kind of saved me from getting there jumped out there. Yeah, yeah. The, beauty, the beauty of gaming and connection. Yeah, you kind of you sort of were all linked there. And the thing is, like, with him, too, he was playing with whoever his team was. I don't remember at the time. But, like, yeah, man, we were all there. And I was like, dude, like, really? We're going to fucking have a fight here at this video game store? Like, you're going to try to jump us outside of this play? And, like, what? You're going to make it hot. Now cops are going to come. They're going to shut it down. What's the point of this, you know? Yeah, I didn't know you yeah. were so dangerous. I had, like, very little backup, man. We would have gotten killed, especially with this group. It was a whole ton of them. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome but yeah but just now thinking about it in terms of again going back to the internet and technology or whatnot so i know chris we talked about this a little bit especially you know before the podcast started uh we talked about kind of what podcasting is you know how the difficulties of it and whatnot so can you tell us about why you got into podcasting in the first place and obviously some of the struggles you've had with it yeah so uh yeah so after 2019 because I, I had my mental health youtube channel blew up then it came crashing down uh, when I got canceled and all that. But anyways, so uh, my love for reading started after that. I wanted to figure out what the hell was going on. Just mob mentality, people just attacking the spread of misinformation and stuff because there was just lies going around about me. And I was like, what is happening, right? And I've always been interested in psychology. So I just started reading books and I just started reading because uh, I, I I stopped reading after high school, right? So I picked this back up in my 30s and I just got hooked. There were so many books for me to catch up on. But um. Yeah, I was reading and reading. I'm just fascinated with human nature. And then uh, as I was just reading all these books, I had questions for authors, right? I had questions for researchers. And, um, you know, I'd ask on Twitter and stuff. And I was just like, well, if I got questions, other people got questions. But also, and this is going to sound terrible, but I don't really give a shit. Like, I want more people to be, like, smarter on this planet, right? I want smarter people. Yeah. I want more educated people. So I'm like, I need to get this information out there. But one of the reasons I, I started the podcast is because I'm really into this kind of academic type, uh, nonfiction, all these books, right? And you you guys have academics on here. Sometimes they talk at a level that normal people don't understand. I'm like, I'm a normal guy. I dropped out of college, right? Maybe mm -hmm. I can bring these people on, talk about the amazing stuff they're researching in all different aspects of life. And we can have a conversation about it. And maybe this will get people interested in picking up a book and understanding like political polarization, addiction, mental health, all sorts of stuff. Like why did people fall into QAnon and all sorts of stuff, you know? So that's why, that's why I started it. And, you know, I, I hustled and since I read so many books, like I did over 170 episodes in just like a little over a year. Like mm -hmm. sometimes I was doing like, I had like five episodes going out in a week just because I constantly Damn, had like interviews and stuff. And I, I eventually kind of slowed it down, but yeah, I just wanted uh, aside from that, but going back to being of service, I had a lot of small authors on, out on there who didn't get, you know, nearly enough credit for the type of stuff that they were doing. So I wanted to help promote them a little bit, too. So it was yep. fun. 
Yeah, I love that. So can I just really quickly, because so I know we don't really talk about this on the air, but I really now want to say this. So for any kind of like young or up and coming podcaster, if you've ever if you've ever either seen the movie and if you haven't go see it, go watch Moneyball, because that's what we do. We do the Moneyball strategy of podcasting. So the thing that a lot of people don't know is that you're not. Well, I mean, I guess they do know. It's pretty fucking obvious. You're, if you're going to be a early a young podcaster, or, you know, it's early on in your whatever career you want to call it. You're not going to get top guests. Right. So and I mean, that's just that's kind of Moneyball. Right. We don't have all the money in the world, right? In this case, we don't have the social capital in the world uh, or all of the social capital in the world. So what you're doing is you're looking for sort of the diamonds in the rough, right? Or for people who are just already pretty established, but let's say they're not great at social media, they're not great at marketing themselves or whatever. So what I love about the Moneyball strategy is essentially you're taking what limited social capital you do have and you're kind of investing it, right? You're investing it in either up and coming authors, you're investing it again in authors who let's say aren't great at marketing or aren't very media savvy, but you're getting people who have the same type of quality uh, work or research research that let's say, you know, like a, like a Michael Shermer or somebody would have, right. I mean, thankfully for us, he did come on, but like, uh, yeah. even though some other guys wouldn't. Um, so yeah, so you would get somebody like him who has the same kind of quality research and the same kind of quality authorship, but obviously they're not at the sort of status or whatever level that, you know, they're too big for you or they feel like, you know, you don't have the type of audience for, or the, you know, whatever, not type of uh, the amount of audience or the amount of people for them, or just, you know, they're just busy, right. They're like, Hey, look, I'm like, I had one guy who yeah. actually came on our podcast and I really appreciate this right off the bat he's like hey man i want to let you know i get invited to like five podcasts a week and i'm like oh, okay cool i was like do yeah. you want to come on and he's like yeah so come on but i'm just saying like you know you have to make it work and that's why um this was an episode that alan wasn't able to do because uh so he's like hey i only have like this limited time slot and you know we made it work which was great really grateful for that but what i'm saying is that a lot about I don't want to say. You don't want to say? No. Uh, so, well, you, you, can figure it out. you can figure it out. I feel like it's fine. What, I don't is think it? Fine. Oh, so it was Julian Bagini. Oh, my God. You shouldn't be saying <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so it was Julian. <laughs> so it, he was like, hey, man, like, you know, I'm really busy. I have a lot of stuff going on. And he just published the book at the time. So whatever. I'm I'm so grateful he came on. Uh, so whatever. But my point is to say that, like, you're looking, again, money ball strategy, right? You don't have Yankee money. So because you yeah. don't have Yankee money, you're essentially trying to find good players who can kind of make up your audience. Well, not your audience. Your guest list, right? And and then through that guest list, obviously, now that makes up your audience or contributes to your audience. So I've always appreciated that about younger podcasters. Um, obviously, I mean, we we, uh, we took the strategy, but I've always appreciated podcasts where they don't only have notable authors on. Because like, not to call anybody out, but I got to be honest, man, some of like the even major podcasts I listen to, what happens is a lot of the authors that they have, like, let's say they're top tier, right? New York Times bestsellers. The thing is, they're very redundant, man. And they talk mm -hmm. about the same. Yeah. Same yeah. They're stuff. doing their little yeah. media tours and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. 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 So not even that, by the way, not even that, not even just redundant within that sphere, like within um the sort of, uh, let me just say, within that small time frame of podcast, I mean, mean redundant over the long stretch. So let's say if you listen to somebody mm. in 2021, they might be talking about the same thing they were talking about in 2018. So I'm like, okay, this is great. And I understand like once in a while, this is phenomenal and, you know, it gets you the viewers and you still yeah. learn something. But I think for a lot of like the major podcasters, they don't want to touch the up and coming authors because they're like, ah, this isn't going to get me the views. Yeah. So I'd rather just just stick to what works, right? I'd rather stick to bestsellers. But again, bestsellers are not going to have anything that new to say. So what they're yeah. doing a lot of times is they're pretty much regurgitating the same info. Yeah, it's 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 really it's really interesting too because I think about this in all aspects, right? Because 
uh, it's the Matthew effect, right? Like, so mm-hmm. what gets big gets bigger and, you know, yes. small, smaller, right? And so you have these big authors, they go on the big podcast, right? And then they all just kind of like, they float around. And it's kind of like, uh, I look at this a lot with writing, right? Um, the same writers are getting all the attention on their articles or the same authors or whatever. And it's like, then I think as a listener, like, do you just want to, do you want to listen to the same person on five different podcasts or do you want some variety? You know what I mean? And, and it's really interesting because some people like, yeah, they will just listen to the same person a million times. Like, uh, part of this, uh, you know, I, I realized with Gary Vaynerchuk, that dude helped me get into the hustle mode and get into the social media and mm-hmm. my own personal marketing and stuff like that. But eventually, like, I knew every word that was going to come out of this dude's mouth, regardless of where it was. And there is something to be said about people repeating something to like beat it in your head because sometimes you just got to keep it simple. You know, yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. This works. Here's the strategy. There you go. Right. But, but yeah, like it's it's just interesting to me how the same the same podcast will have the same guests. It's like, oh, here's this person's twentieth time on my podcast. But right. when when podcasting too, there is you mentioned that social capital. You know, like Michael Sherman was one of my first guests. Well, now now I have a big name to get other people on. Where they're right. like, hey, they're yeah. like, hey, you had Sherman on, sick, right? And now I got another big author on. And eventually, since I did so many episodes depending on who I was reaching out to, I was able to say like, here's a similar author who was really big that I had on. Like, right. um, for example, um, uh, uh, Kathy O'Neill, right? Kathy O'Neill, mm-hmm. best-selling author for like Weapons of Math Destruction. And she had mm-hmm. a new book come out. I thought I had it right next to me. But anyways, uh, she had, an, oh, here, yeah, it is right here. Mm-hmm. The Shame Machine, right? She's a huge mm-hmm. author. And um, because of some other authors I had on that she's, you know, friendly with, uh, like, she she agreed to come on you know what i mean so there is so every now and then you take the big swings but i'm also uh, uh a numbers guy right like i will reach out to so many people i'll read out to 100 people and if five of them get back sick you know what mm-hmm. i mean so yeah. that that's kind of my method like i just go 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 and then eventually that kind of built up and everything like that but but yeah uh we were talking about this before the podcast too those those bigger authors sometimes those were my low least listened to episode yeah and it started to make sense because think about it like when you have a giant author on even if they share even if they share it on social media if you go through their twitter feed they've been sharing every episode they've been because they're such a huge author so why who who in their audience is going to look at it and be like okay michael Shermer just shared 20 episodes he's been on I want to listen to seize the moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We've definitely thought that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's, it's kind of weird. So it's like, almost like you build that social capital, build your own listenership. Now you can introduce smaller authors and yeah. introduce people to new books and uh, topics and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a weird, it, you know, the challenge of it's kind of fun, but yeah, <laughs> I just kind of like, was like, okay, I'm done with that challenge. I'm, I'm looking for a new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Gary V um, <laughs> mm-hmm. because yeah, one of his books, uh, it's called Jab, Jab, uh, Right Hook, I think. Or yeah. Right Hook. Yeah, something like that. Right Hook. Yeah. And the, the basic idea in that book is that, you know, you give people, you pretty much give them f- free content over and over again. And then they get so engaged and they like you so much that they're, they've already invested in you. And then you can actually like maybe sell something to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So forgetting even the selling part of it. Right. Uh, the jab jab part right uh that's that's how i think of, about the podcast thing as far as that goes like i'm also a numbers guy in the sense that 
you know, the more you do, one, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. Two, the more just you're putting in the time. And so people see you putting in the time. So that, that gives you also some kind of status in that world, right? Although mm-hmm. that's not the biggest thing that should probably motivate, but it's an aspect of it that- Yeah, it's a necessity. Yeah, yeah, like I'm I'm weird, like uh, in, in the sense that I just like the idea of uh, kind of like what you said at the beginning of this, which is like, you kind of just want to bring really good information to people that's not widely available, right? Like, yeah. oh, mindfulness or critical thinking or, mm-hmm. oh, there's this thing called nuanced thinking. You can actually have two thoughts at the same time. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like, you don't have to be black and white. It's not like you only pick Democrat or Republican. Maybe this guy has good points. Maybe that guy has good points. And mm-hmm. maybe you come up, you just combine everything. And Both and thinking. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so like, that's kind of like the thing that at least drives me in terms of doing the vice. But the thing is, even just doing podcasting in general, you almost have to remanufacture that passion, if not on a daily basis, at least every once in a blue moon. Because like for a lot of people, they might get hit with that purpose, right? Like my purpose is to help people, right? And mm-hmm. you actually like everything changes about you, your tone, you, you sharpen up everything, you know, you're, you're like in the zone. You're like, I'm here, I'm here to help. And you like, yeah. you feel that passion, but then sometimes you, then you go through like, Oh, weeks of doing this months of doing this. And all of a sudden it's not that same mindset that you started with. And you almost have to remind yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. And if you, if you don't, you almost feel like, uh, the, the stuff that you're doing gets on top of you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I don't know. I think sometimes even taking breaks or also just being like, oh, this strategy isn't working. Like, let yeah. me try something different. Uh, I think that's important too. Just my, my thing or our thing is that we're just kind of like, what's that point where um, what's, what's that balance between, oh, jab, jab, like you keep putting out the content mm-hmm between that and then like when do you need to actually change things up because like you do want to see a result right yeah and you want to wait for that result but then that result might not have come because you need to keep jabbing or it might be that you should try something different yeah you don't know yeah uh definitely everybody out there i uh grab andy duke's new book quit that's a fantastic book like mm-hmm. i because that's what i'm always wondering like do i keep going or is it time to quit right and yeah. Andy Duke, just one of my favorite authors she's the one who really introduced me to critical thinking right i picked up her her first book thinking in bets love that book i'm gonna read it again i'm gonna read her <laughs> other book quit again but anyways um yeah but like kind of like with with that um it's one of the reasons I still do my weekly reading list, right? Even though I chilled on uh, podcasting and interviewing authors, I still want to go out there and promote good authors. I love people coming on my sub stack and saying, you know, thanks for these recommendations. I got uh, our boy, uh, God, I don't know how to, if I pronounce the name right, Mayher or Mayhar, uh, but he's always like, good, I was waiting for your reading list because sometimes hmm. I post it late on Mondays. I haven't missed a single week in like three years. It's crazy. Wow. So, wow. But uh, yeah, that's that's why I find that that purpose. But kind of like what you're saying, it, it is tough because I do want to give and give and give and give, but I also want to see results, right? Like, and it, and, and here's the struggle with it too, because where does my ego come in? Right. Right. Uh, because I, my, I say, I want to help as many people as possible. I want to reach as many people as possible. But part of me too is like, man, what the hell, man, I'm only like getting to a small amount of people, you know, but sometimes you're just reaching those, those few people. Like you guys probably have like 
diehard listeners who who will not miss an episode just because they love your perspective yeah. and the guests you come on, you know, and you don't want to abandon them. So yeah. Yeah. um I'm just a, a a creative person. I can't stop like even the idea of retiring. Like my girlfriend's the exact opposite. If she has time off, she'll just milk it as much as she can. But I have to keep working. So if I stop doing like the podcasting project, like I, I, I jumped into a, a new YouTube channel or I'm constantly writing. Like I do freelance writing. I, you know, write on Substack. I'm reading. Like I have to create things. It's just how I work, you know? So <laughs> I can never, I can never just stop, but I'm always, you know, I, I try to stick with projects as long as possible and really go through a process before I dial down and try new things, you know? And if I'm being 1000% honest with you, had my new YouTube channel not taken off, I would have I would have come back to the podcast, you know. Mm-hmm. But now this thing's going, and I'm pumping out videos like every single day, you know. And it, it is cool because since I am a gamer, I'm doing gaming content, and it is it, it's an interesting experience. And and it is nice too. And this is where my ego loves it. Like I'm getting you know thousands of views, tens of thousands of yeah. views, I'm getting a little bit of income, you know. But I'll tell you what's cool on my new channel. I've been able to introduce psychology topics, mental health topics, mm. philosophy, you know? Nice. Uh, so, so I always, I always find a way to squeeze these things in. I've introduced people to books over there. So it's kind of cool. Oh, that's interesting. You, you know, you, you're reminding me, uh, there's actually uh, somebody that I listen to uh, also. Um, his name's like heavenly controller. He's, but he, long story short, he's on YouTube and he'll, he started with like reviewing anime, right? Mm. And he'll put on an anime episode, and then he has such a, like a like an interesting like personality and reactions to what's happening there that it was just entertaining, right? And then yeah. what happens is over time he started to like watch an anime and then sometimes get into talking about philosophy, yeah. like d- during it, and sometimes he bring in those topics and then like game, and then also maybe something happens in the game. Uh, and then also start talking about that kind of stuff. And there's actually ways that these things kind of connect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually a fun way to connect those topics. So no, and isn't and isn't that literally the definition of genius? Like taking topics or you know, kind of fundamental aspects that seem so yeah. disparate from one another and infusing them together. Oh, comedy. There you go. Yeah, wow. that that's my favorite way to teach people mm-hmm. things, right? Take something they're interested in, and then it's like it's like with animals, right? Like when you hide the medicine in the cheese, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like take something people are interested in, and then teach them like the important lessons and stuff like that. Like even right. with my son, my son and I were huge into Marvel. You mentioned Ant Man; it broke my heart. We we had tickets to go see it uh, Thursday, right? Like the freaking right before uh you know uh he but then he got sick basically he got uh, sick so puking uh, his brains out um but anyways i got tickets for monday but it, what i'm getting at is we'll watch like a marvel movie or we we'll watch other shows together and then we'll talk about like how does this relate to real life right mm-hmm. wow. um uh, my son and i i've been getting him me and him will read a book together we're on our third book right now we're reading uh how to win friends and influence people <laughs> but first first we read um uh, you are not so smart by David Bengraney to teach him about like biases and heuristics and stuff. Then we mm-hmm. read uh, How to Be Perfect, which is from the creator of The Good Place. So I introduced him to moral huh. philosophy and stuff. So mm-hmm. now he knows all about like uh, deontology and utilitarianism. Wow, and yeah, that's right? awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and we're able to like watch a show and say like, okay, like um, because especially with Marvel you'll uh you'll start to see like villains are just doing some utilitarian stuff but like in a real bad way right they're trying to create the greatest the greatest good but by Thanos, uh, Thanos yeah. there you go right like, it's like hey, i want to 
Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm go gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna half the population to save the population, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, so yeah, so I've taken these topics that I think are important life lessons and I try to intertwine them with stuff for my son, but it's also what I did in treatment. It's what I do, uh, you know, on my YouTube channel sometimes and stuff. So I do think that's the best way to connect with people because how do you get people an interest? Like if I just go up to someone, it's like, Hey, let's talk about moral philosophy. But like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but, but then you start showing people like I, I I'm always screaming from the root, rooftops. Everything is moral philosophy. Everything you're doing is moral philosophy, politics. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I saw, you know, I forgot when it was, it was recently. Someone's like, we need to keep morality out of politics. And I'm like, that's all politics yeah. are. It's, mm-hmm. it's two different parties. Uh, and there are different views on morality. What is the best? What is the greatest good, right? And that yeah. also helps me, and this is just me going on into moral philosophy, that helps me see other people as human. I see people as not being bad people. I see them thinking they know the best way to do something, right? That's going to yeah. help the most people, right? Like even the most like racist, transphobic people, whatever, they think they're doing something good. And when you get into that mindset, it's a lot easier to show them some compassion and try to see where they're coming from, even mm-hmm. though they might be like, you know, uh, you know, bigoted or whatever. Like maybe they were raised a certain way. Like I love Jonathan Heights, uh, the righteous mind that really helped me understand the different sides of the political aisle. Like, Oh wait, I'm like, hold on. Somebody growing up in the South is different from me growing up in uh, California. In, in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. Oh wow. We were raised differently than me, uh, me and atheists and someone on the Bible belt. That's crazy. You know? So I do think uh, just reading and learning and teaching, you know, those, those are crucial too. And that goes back to the whole service thing as well. Right. How do we introduce things to people? And that's why I love authors. They're figuring out ways to do it. Like the academics, they do their things, but then there's other people like, like David McRaney who takes these things and makes it very digestible for people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And applicable. So what I like is that like, so some of the authors that we have on, like the person that we had on last week, Eric Angner. Um, so for him, what I really love is, so he took a field like economics, which everybody finds to be, well, most people find to be oh, yeah. boring. They're like, what yeah. the, why would I fucking take econ? Right. Yeah. So, but then you take this field and he applies it to poverty. He applies it to climate change. He applies it to sort of, you know, the everyday behaviors and how we deal with resources. Well, I'm going to add something real quick to that. So the, even the concept of opportunity cost, right. like, Oh, what could I be doing with my time? Like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm overthinking. I'm neurotic. I'm thinking about something. What else can I be doing with that time? Mm-hmm. Or, or I'm doing this activity at home. Could I be doing something else? Maybe productive. Yeah. Or maybe could I go get some leisure time because I'm doing too many productive things? And then mm-hmm. start thinking like that. That concept of what else can I be doing with the time? And yeah. it's that's such a powerful, easy thing. Yeah, and yeah. so that's the point, right? So we get like these authors who, and that's the thing that we kind of not necessarily coach them on, but we ask them to do is that we're like, okay, how do we make this attributable to the audience's lives, right? Because yeah. like, why are they listening to this, right? Because nobody really cares about some abstract lecture. Again, like let's say, you know, an example, moral philosophy. Nobody wants to talk about like the trolley problem or uh, even the prisoner's dilemma, yeah. unless they can see how it can apply to their lives. So, and that's the thing I appreciate most about like these popular books. And by the way, man, I actually get a ton of fucking heat on my blog from psychoanalysts and from people in psychology who will say yeah. like, yo, stop trying to popularize this stuff. They would say something like, look, yeah, you just like dumb down the yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, you dumb down the ideas. They're like, you need to stop doing that. They're like, you need to use like our lingo and you need to uh, like apply like these abstract concepts. And I'm like, dude, first of all, nobody's going to read this shit. They're not going to understand it. And second of all, how do these concepts actually apply to people? Because like, I'm like, no offense, but if I were in a consulting room with you, if you were my therapist, I would walk the fuck out because I have no, yeah. I, first of all, not only do I not have any idea what you're talking about nor do i fucking care well it comes off condescending too right like when like when you're using all these big words and stuff like like um 
when I'm reading books, like I'll sit there and even though I understand words and I have no problem researching stuff, looking up words, like, I don't yeah, you know, have to, right? Yeah. Like, um, but I'm just like, why are you trying to sound like this? You know, like, who are you trying to connect? Like, try to, because again, uh, I, I want to reach the most people and help the most people. And most people aren't sitting here with a PhD or a master's or whatever, but right. it reminds me, and I don't, I don't mind name dropping, but, uh, the authors of hidden games, um, I forgot that I don't have, uh, Mo Moshe Hoffman. We actually have yeah. Moshe on this on the show. Yeah. Too. I love yeah. those dudes. I love hidden games, but it's funny because I, I always remember that episode because like, I kept trying to get them to relate it to real life. Mm. And then finally at like 45 minutes, I was like, listen, man, I want to understand how game theory applies to us in everyday life. Like, why should the average person care about this? Because we were talking about, you know, human nature and reciprocity and, you know, um, just tribalism and things like that. And like how we do things to look good to other people. And uh, it came up about me getting canceled on YouTube, right? Like I was trying to help people. And usually people who are trying to help others are seen higher, right? Like, because they're like, oh, that, like that's based our, our basic survival instincts from back in the tribal days, right? Like, oh, this person helps others. I'm going to be friendly with them. So I'm like, help me understand this. Help people under understand mob mentality. Help people understand how a bunch of people will go after someone who is trying to do something good, right? Right. Um, and and yeah, it finally it clicked for them too. They're like, oh yeah, we do need to talk about this because I, I but I understood them like they didn't want to get too far into like. Uh, you know, real world topics and give like advice based on game theory. But for me, I'm constantly trying to read to understand people because going back to my addiction, I had some anger issues. Like you wouldn't believe I hated everybody. Part of like, aside from my like depression and traumatic childhood and all this other stuff, I drank and used just because I thought everybody was an idiot. Right. Mm. I couldn't understand. So reading also helps me understand people. Like we were just talking about people from different political parties and me having a little bit more compassion for them. So I read these books to understand human nature and, and just deal with people. So like even the, just the dumbest asshole on Twitter, like, even if I get upset, I'm like, okay, but here's, here's what I've read to help me understand where they're coming from. Right. I understand that people are tribal. I understand that people are experiencing cognitive dissonance. They, they can't settle in their brain what's going on when they're having two conflicting pieces of information. Great example right now. Um, like the Fox news, like text messages and stuff, like they have to go to court for dominion voting and they're like calling their yeah. own audience idiots. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't wait to just kind of see how these people uh, you know, settle that in their brain, right? Like, you know, um, it's the same thing when you look at, uh, you know, the, the oh, the, the election was stolen and all this other stuff, despite all the evidence to the contrary. And it helps me understand people. And that's the other reason why, you know, the podcast and just recommending books is good. Because maybe somebody will pick up one of these books I recommend and say, oh, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, settle these two conflicting ideas in my head and mm -hmm. I'm coping with this in a very rational way. Maybe I should stop. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy world. <laughs> for me, um, believe it or not, you know, you, you think, you know, somebody who does this kind of podcast, philosophy, psychology, all that good stuff. Uh, I'd be reading books all the time. And like, yeah, one, yes, I, I do. I definitely do. Especially if the guest has a book. Yeah, I was going to say, don't tell our guests. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 sure. But the thing I, I did it for leisure too. And sometimes I still do, but the thing that I do to like understand people still, I mean, not to understand people, but I happen to through this is through comedy podcasts, like mm. still like, I still listen to like, let's say Jim Norton or yeah. Louis CK or 
Bobby Kelly or like the like for example, Bobby Kelly also used to be an addict. Well, so did Jim Norton. So was Jim mm-hmm. Norton. I, I think they all yeah. were. Not yeah, everybody. a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. But when when he actually uh talks about his experience, what it was like, you know, growing up, his family life, uh uh, and and makes it funny too. It's it's interesting. Like I'll still take that really useful information, but I'm also laughing and having yeah, a good time. Comedians it, yeah. are are amazing. It's why I've always loved comedy because comedians are really looking at human nature, right? Mm-hmm. And they're poking fun at it. And that's that's one of my lines where I'm just like, don't don't censor comedy. Let people do their thing, right? If people if people bomb and tell bad jokes, whatever. But I love it, and especially like talking about addiction, right? Like. It bothers me when people get mad that they're talking about sensitive subjects or this is offensive. Like, I need to be able to laugh. Like, that's what, like, here's one of the benefits of AA. I remember going into AA, first sober, just miserable. My life sucks. I can't see my son. I don't have drugs. I don't have alcohol. And people are in there laughing about the insane shit they did while drunk and high. I'm like, how are you guys laughing about this? But it helps it helps make it easier to deal with when you can laugh at it. it. It it takes power away from it. You know what I mean? And, but yeah, comedians are constantly just looking at humanity, the ridiculous shit we do and poking fun at it. And it, it, it makes life a lot easier to fucking deal with, you know? Yeah. I feel like you get too, you get too stuffy, you get too rigid when you're not allowed to make fun of something. Like there's this uh, guy, his name's uh, Alan Watts. Uh, it brought like Eastern philosophy here. Yeah. Right. And or he made it more popular. And one of the things that he said, he, he was doing this lecture about something um, like something called the fool, like the, basically the Joker. Right. Mm-hmm. So the concept of the fool was to poke fun at the things that uh, were sacred. Right. And poke yeah. fun of them. It's so so that the king uh, didn't become too stuffy and was able to like uh, be less uh, rigid about things. I, I forgot the actual saying, but. I could imagine if you really censor comedy and you're not allowed to talk about certain things, then people can't get the uh, that relief that they need about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you almost need to be able to make fun of even the most sacred, like whether it be like a relationship, trans, race, this, that, whatever, even though I agree, like, yeah, it, these are like charged subjects. And like, yeah. I respect it. I, I'm not, you know, yeah. if somebody pointed at me and was like, hey, you can't talk about it. I'd be like, I, I understand what you're saying, but but it could help somebody uh, feel more relief, actually, than yeah. do harm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, uh, one of the other great books from Jonathan Haidt and uh, Greg Lukianoff uh, is The Coddling of the American Mind and stuff like that. And they talk a lot about CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and these like distortions we have. And like, oh, that's the worst thing you ever said or words are hurting me or whatever and here's my thing and it's something you know like even though i can't control anything else right i can barely control myself and my thoughts i can teach my son and hopefully create mold him into a good person but what i'm getting at is i had to learn in my sobriety i need to stop letting other people control how i feel i'm giving people way too much power over me and my life you know like going back to my anger issues and stuff so anyways like if somebody says something offensive or whatever, it's like, I'm not going to let let them make me feel that way. Now, that's not to say I'm just going to let somebody like walk all over me or insult me or whatever, but mm-hmm. I'm going to brush it off and keep it moving, right? If I don't want to be around that person, if I don't want to listen to this, whatever it is, I'm in control. You guys had, why am I forgetting his name? You'll remember it. The, mm. uh, he wrote that recent book on free will. Fantastic. Oh, book. Ken and Sheldon. There we go, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, And yeah, like, 
I I have I get to make these choices. I get to make choices of what I'm where I'm going to be, what I'm going to, you know, uh, who I'm going to be around and all these other things. Right. These are things that I can do. What's in my control. And if if I do get set off, like I know that my brain is like catastrophizing things in a way it shouldn't. Now it's time for me to sit down, meditate, talk to a therapist, talk to somebody else or whatever. Because here's the thing. If you are living your life thinking that everybody's going to be the exact way you want to, you're going to be on this never ending mission from hell. That's going to make you miserable, right? Mm -hmm. Let, let people be, if somebody wants to be ignorant, stupid, offensive, whatever it is, either deal with it or don't, right? You can accept it, change it or eliminate it. Those are the three things, right? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So like when it comes to comedy, you don't like it, don't, don't watch it. Right. Yeah. Um, Whatever it is. Yeah, and I think even for so for people who struggle with sort of obsessiveness or perfectionism, uh, what you would call OCPD, I think why comedy is so helpful is because a lot of us take ourselves too seriously. So it's like not only is everything super important, like everything we're trying to achieve, but it's also really important what other people think of us. And if you could learn to laugh at yourself, then you could kind of see like, hey, dude, you know, you're sp- first of all, it's a waste of time to get everybody to try to like you. That's not going to happen. To try to get everybody to like you, that's not going to happen. But then the other thing is also like it doesn't really matter. You're still going to have these flaws. Like even if somehow or other you win everybody over guess what you're still not perfect you're still gonna have flaws and somebody somewhere will actually notice it they might not ostensibly see it or they might not or you might not ostensibly see that they see it they might even keep it to themselves but again man it's not gonna eliminate your flaws and i do like that about comedy because what that does is it kind of minute by making us laugh at ourselves it minimizes our flaws and it tells us like dude it's okay you can just go be human yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, you know, I, I can get obsessive about my own things, like, you know, weight or whatever it is. But, you know, something else I learned is to, is to stop caring as much what other people think about me. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean I just run around saying whatever I want, like, oh, yeah. what anybody thinks. No, I don't do that. But I don't let it, I don't let it control my life anymore, because I'm never going to be able to control it, right? Even if I lose, uh, you know, I've actually lost quite a bit of weight. I'm, I'm like, 30, awesome. 40 pounds, something like oh, that. Oh, right? shit. But, Very nice. Yeah, yeah. right? But, yeah. like, even if I lose another 100 pounds, like, I'm still balding. I got this big-ass forehead, you know, whatever it is. Like, there's always going to be <laughs> there's always gonna be something, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and there's different there's different things for everybody. I'm going to do stuff that irritates people. People aren't going to like. Whatever. There's 7 billion people on this planet. If a couple people don't like me, that's cool. I just try to be of service. Try to show kindness and compassion where I can. I don't hang around with assholes. Whatever it is, right? Yeah. I just mm-hmm. live my life life and do what I got to do to be the best version of me that I can and not let other people dictate how I'm feeling, you know? Yeah. I love that, man. That's such a great endpoint too. All right. Alan, final questions for Chris before we wrap up. Yeah. Uh, if we wanted to follow you, follow your work, uh, where, where could we find you? So <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, Real is it real Chris Boutte? Yeah, because yep. I recently changed it and trying to just my uh, change some things around. But anyways, uh, you can follow me there. I do post my weekly reading list. I haven't been as active on that Twitter account. If you're interested in gaming, I've been focusing on uh, a digital card game, Marvel Snap, on my new YouTube channel, and that's at Bootman MSTZ. So you can follow me there. But mo- mainly, your listeners are probably going to want to follow me on Substack. It's yeah. just the Rewired Soul every single Monday. I post a reading list. Uh, I haven't been reading as much lately, but every week I'm finishing at least two to three books, nonfiction. Wow. So, not so, not yeah. much, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So so yeah, I, I post them up there. So if you wanna if you want some uh some good books to read, or even bad books, some books I read suck, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always have book recommendations. 
All right, man. As always, dude, these are some of our favorite shows. So this thank you awesome, again for coming on. It's been a pleasure. All right, man. We'll talk Take to you care. soon. All right, man. Uh, it's always good to have you. So uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. We're at Seize underscore podcast. Like, subscribe. Hit the bell on YouTube. YouTube. And again, thank you so much for watching and see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.